Our sermon passage this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So now our Father and our God, this morning we yearn for you to speak truth to us. Not truth for the sake of our minds, but truth to know you. Not truth for the sake of being able to explain things, but truth for the sake of delighting in your saving power. Not truth for the sake of being right, but truth for the sake of being delivered. Not truth for the sake of being superior, but truth for the sake of being humbled to know your saving power and finding joy in you. Lord, in general, we are so familiar with words like Jesus and gospel and deliverance and salvation and hope and everlasting life that we just hear them and we say, yeah. And I'm praying today that over all your people, over everyone in this room, over those who are far from you, over those who got drugged into this gathering today, that you would reveal your son in saving power and fill all all of our minds, and all of our hearts with yes and amen and hope and joy and freedom and emotion and feeling because you have saved us. This is our prayer. And we need your spirit to work. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I kind of just want to say amen and go sit down. Anybody interested in going home really early today? Before we begin, um, take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Um, and it probably help you also to go ahead and find Isaiah chapter 11, what Joshua read for us just a few minutes ago. And while you're doing that, I just want to say um, a quick thank you. So whoever... Um, snuck around and built a cross and then broke into the church under cover of night and mounted it in the baptistry this week. Thank you. Um, I don't know who you are, so I can't send you a thank you note. Um, I figure I'm going to say that in both services, and then if they skip church today, they just don't get a thank you. But either way, thank you. We are very grateful and appreciative uh, for that. So, um, what we've been doing this morning is we've been focusing on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth to purchase and redeem and restore humanity. We call this Advent. Advent is a word that means the appearing means to reveal. And what we know this day is that everything we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Joy to the World, 
Come rest ye merry gentlemen, he who is mighty. It's all true. But it's all true because Jesus came. It's all true because Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh, took on human form, was born of a, of a virgin woman in a place called Bethlehem to live, to obey the Word of God, to glorify God and to give His life as a sacrifice for sin on a cross. We know that to be true because He came. So the purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Advent is Jesus. The purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Advent is the Gospel. The purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Advent is that salvation is real because Christ appeared. And today, my task is to speak to you something that you know all the answers to in such a way that you're moved. You're moved to joy. You're moved to worship. You're moved to care about the greatness of the fact that Jesus came. And so, I'm going to talk about this for the next 30 minutes or so. But if you're not inclined to listen to people talk about the Scripture for long periods of time, here's the reality of this message. Jesus Christ came. He appeared. And in appearing, God's plan of salvation became real for the world. Jesus Christ appeared. And in appearing, God's plan of salvation became real for the world. So the outline is very simple. He appeared and we receive. Jesus appeared and we receive. He appeared to reveal Himself as the saving Son of God, and in so doing, salvation and a place in God's kingdom is given to His children. He appeared, we receive. That's it. That's what this passage drives home to us. And so we at Redeemer have been working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. And today I want to go back to some verses we referenced a few weeks ago, what Julie just referenced for us, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. And now, what's going on in this passage is it's written by a man named Paul. Um, and Paul was uh, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And it was written by Paul, who is in prison because he's a messenger of Jesus, to a man named Timothy, who is also a messenger of Jesus Christ, and pastoring a church. And so Paul wrote this entire book and this passage to Timothy as a way to to shepherd and speak to the, the, the whole church. And what he says is that the gospel is true. And if the gospel is true, it has a profound impact on us. The gospel's true. And if the gospel's true, it has a profound impact on us. So look at verse 8. Let's take it backward. He says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So the gospel's true. And if it's true, we share in suffering. And if it's true, we're not ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor are we ashamed of what implications or costs the gospel might have upon us. So the main truth in this passage from Paul to Timothy and to us is that if the gospel is true, it changes us. So what he says to Timothy is that if the gospel is true, don't be ashamed of Jesus. 
If the gospel's true, endure hardship for Jesus. And I'm not even so concerned about ashamed and suffering as I am. Most of us, we go through this Christmas season, the story of of Jesus becoming a man, Jesus being born, Jesus living, Jesus walking on earth, Jesus dying, Jesus rising again. And we kind of just hear it like, like our math teacher teaching us multiplication facts. Like, yeah. Who wants some turkey and dressing? You know? And I just want to scream and shout, be moved by the gospel because it's true. If it's true, care. If it's true, believe. If it's true, be filled with joy. If it's true, love as God has loved you. If it's true, be merciful as God has been merciful to you. If it's true, be filled with awe and wonder at the fact that God came to save sinners of whom we are all the worst. So because it's true, because He appeared, and because we receive, Paul is calling us to care, to be filled with awe, to be filled with joy. So the first point for those of you who take notes is He appeared. He appeared. He here is Jesus. He appeared. And what we're going to see in this first point is it mattered that Jesus actually came in real space and real time to bring salvation to God's people. It really mattered that Jesus really came in real space and real time to deliver God's people. What we call Christmas, the coming of Jesus, matters deeply. So let's see if we can see Paul making this argument for us. So verse 8, chapter 1, he says that he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the gospel. Now, gospel is one of those churchy words that we use so much, it's just lost meaning to us. But gospel literally means good news. And in the context of the New Testament, and in the context of what Paul is talking about, The gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us through Jesus. What Paul is talking about is the good news of God's saving power to deliver sinners from the captivity of sin and death. The gospel is the good news of God's saving power to deliver sinners from the captivity of sin and death. And death. And I think the word for us today is good. The gospel is good news. And I just have a challenge to those of us who are overly churched, overly focused on, is it possibly overly focused on Christ? No, but so focused on Christ that the story of Jesus has lost its wonder to us. For example, Think of your children, or if you're a child, think of yourself. On Tuesday morning, December 25th at 4.08 a.m. Good news, there's presents downstairs. Response, uncontrolled, impatient 
joy. Is that just my house? You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. I promise you they're up at 408. You just don't realize it. Or what if you opened your email right now? I'm not suggesting any of you would check your email while I'm preaching, but what if you opened your email to find that you got a $10,000 raise, effective immediately? Uncontrolled what? Joy, because that's good news. What if while you were checking your email, you also saw that your child, who's been struggling with something of an emotional nature, has been healed and freed from it and walking in joy, you would have a response of uncontrolled good news. What if while you were also digging in your email, you saw that your friend and your neighbor who's been suffering from from a, a rare form of cancer has miraculously been healed and declared cancer free? A response of joy. And what Paul says, the gospel of God's power to save sinners is good news. The greatest news. And if it's good news, how do we respond? Some of you maybe don't need to get any further into this sermon than that right there. Maybe for the next 30-ish minutes, you just need to ponder this. Why is the gospel lost its overwhelmingly joyful response from me? Because it's good news. I'm going to see if I can help you understand the goodness of it. So the gospel is good news of God's saving power. Now keep reading. This gospel, then in verse 9, it does something to us. It saves us and it calls us even though we don't deserve that. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But this gospel begins with God. We're told that that the gospel power is extended to us by God's purpose and by God's grace. So what Paul is telling us is that the gospel is good news because God is extending salvation. That's forgiveness of sin and deliverance from the bondage of sin and death at His own initiative. God is extending saving power to sinners at His own initiative. The gospel was God's idea. And not only was it God's idea, but we're told that it comes to us through Jesus. Which means it comes to us Only through Jesus. The only way to have salvation is through Jesus Christ. The only way to have sin forgiven is through Jesus Christ. The only way to have deliverance, to be a child of God, to walk joyfully in the family of God is through Jesus. Jesus is plan A. There is no plan B. There is no contingency plan. Jesus is God's Savior. So what this means is that God's God's gospel is good news because salvation comes to us because it was God's idea and it comes at God's expense. God's own son must die to pay the penalty for our sin. God's own son had to step down out of the glories of heaven and take on human form whereby we could know him and experience God's 
blessing. So what Paul is saying is that salvation was God's idea at God's expense by God's initiative. God started the whole thing for broken, sinful rebels like us. The gospel is good news because it is God taking initiative to do for us what we most need, even though we may or may not realize it, and doing so at his own expense so that we could be reconciled to him and know him. What the Bible tells us is that we were debtors, we were sinners. We were rebels. We deserve God's wrath. There was nothing in us that was good or right or holy. But at his own initiative, God sent his only son into the world to take on human form so that through his son, sinners might have forgiveness and salvation and deliverance. And this is the good news. So this Christmas, when you consider baby in a manger... When you consider Christ took on human flesh, when you consider the mighty things that he has done, what the coming of Jesus screams to us is that at God's initiative, God purposed salvation and he paid the price of it for us. Salvation was God's idea at God's expense by God's initiative. And this is the good news for us. And I guess we could stop there. But Paul doesn't. Because he pushes it one step further. And this step is hugely important. Jesus Christ makes God's salvation known. The person of Jesus in bodily form, living on earth, walking, teaching, believing, trusting the Lord, and manifesting his greatness, this Jesus made this salvation known. It really matters that Jesus took on human flesh. What we celebrate at Christmas was a necessary, integral part of God's saving plan. It matters that the real Jesus really was born in a real human body, in a real place, Bethlehem, at a real time, and took on human flesh to really reveal the glory of God and God's saving plan. It had to happen, and it mattered. And it matters today. So while salvation was conceived in the mind of God and sealed in the mind of God before the ages began, the promise of God to deliver a people, took place in real space and time, and it matters that it did. So it matters that there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was Jesus, the Son of God, and came to be called Jesus the Christ. This really matters because our salvation hinges on His coming. And that's what Paul says in verse 10. The salvation he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now, present tense, has been manifested, that is revealed, that is made clear, like curtains unveiled, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that Jesus' coming was a necessary part of the revealing of God's saving 
plan. Because the Jesus dying is only possible because of his coming. And the Jesus resurrecting is only possible because of the Jesus dying and the Jesus coming. And the Jesus coming is the manifestation that says God's plan is unfolding now. And this Jesus came to abolish death, to bring life and mortality through the gospel. There it is again, through the good news. So the question to us today is do we recognize the overwhelmingly good story that unfolded when Jesus took on human flesh and was born? You know, I've been reading a lot this week, and I'm going to try not to bore you with things, but Jesus wasn't really born in December. And he may or may not have actually been born outside. And um, the angels and the wise men and all of that, they weren't all there at the same time. They all actually did come, but they weren't all there at the same time. Singing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the new... Most of what we celebrate has been manipulated a little bit and made convenient. But the Son of God was born of a virgin in Bethlehem at the time appointed by God to bring glory to God and to reveal God's salvation And shepherds did come and worship him. And angels did appear in the sky and worship him. And kings from all over did come and worship him because he's worthy of the worship. But let's get the celebration right. It's good news because salvation is here. That's why it's good news. All those other facts, they're just things that we can discuss later. But the good news is that Christ came. And again, I think it's a gift and a blessing that we get to live on this side of Jesus coming. It's a gift and a blessing that we get to live chronologically after he came so that we can look back upon it. Because most of God's people for all of history actually had to look forward to a promise that they thought would never happen. And I think if we could understand how much they were yearning for Jesus, we might be able to look back and find more joy Jesus. So this is all still under that one point he appeared, but flip back to what Joshua read for us earlier in Isaiah chapter 11. I promise I'm not going to, like you're sitting there, you're going, oh, he's going to try to preach two passages in one sermon and I'm never going to get to go home. Actually, I'm going to try to preach three passages in one sermon and we got done five minutes early in the first service. But just look at Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch of his roots shall bear fruit. Now, there's two ways that people respond to this. One is the confused way. What do shoots and stumps and branches have anything to do with God? I'm just going to keep going. Which, if you're going to keep going, we we can work with that. The other way is that people who really, really, really study the Bible and know all the answers and have all the Bible answers down and do really well in Sunday school, they look at that and they go, oh yeah, so so Jesse 
David's father, so this is about Jesus. And that would be true. There was a man named Jesse who was the father of a man named David who became the king of Israel who did receive a promise that from his offspring would be the forever king over God's people who would deliver them and bring salvation to them. That's true. But here's what we miss. What we miss is the angst of the longing. Do you know what a stump is? A stump is a, the dead remainder of a dead tree. Right? Stump signifies the end. This tree's youthfulness, usefulness has passed. We are cutting it down to the stump. Or a storm blew up and killed the tree and all that's left is a stump or a fire or something. But stump doesn't exude confidence and hope in its future usefulness. And so what Isaiah, through God, is saying is the promise to Jesse right now feels dead. It feels hopeless. It feels like it's never going to come to pass. So my promise to you, anxious, longing, hurting, apathetic children of Israel, is there will come forth a shoot. And shoot is intended to mean a green leaf, a new spark of life from the stump that will say, that will become a branch, and the shoot that becomes a branch will fulfill all the promises. And so what God's saying to His people is, my word feels dead. It feels stale. It feels hopeless. But I promise that one day, one will come who will fulfill every bit of it, and you will know my salvation and my blessing and my eternal kingdom through Him. Look for Him. Look for the one who is to come. Well, how do we know what he looks like? That's what the rest of the passage tells us. But look for him. And so what Paul is writing in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is he came. The branch is here. And he's become a root. And all the promises and all the blessings are going to be fulfilled in Him. Look to Him and delight in Him because He is our Savior and He's our Lord and He's our Redeemer and He is our only hope. Jesus is everything and His appearing mattered. It mattered so much that we should worship Him for it. It mattered so much that we should praise Him for it. It matters so much that we ought be filled with joy because He came and revealed Himself to us. And when He comes, everything's going to be turned upside down. Wolves and lambs and leopards and goats are going to lie down together, meaning they're normally enemies, but everything changes with Jesus. The fatted calves and the calf and the lion will lie down, meaning enemies, everything changes with Jesus. Cows and bears shall graze together. Normally eating one another, enemies, everything changes with Jesus. I'm going to play with snakes, really need everything to change with Jesus. Everything changes with Jesus. The peoples of the earth are going to come seeking to know God through him because everything changes with Jesus. This is why we are filled with joy. On Christmas. And I'm just asking you, 
Do you believe that the story is good news? And if it's good news, will you respond appropriately for good things? And if you're today struggling to believe, struggling to find hope in this world, struggling to believe that in Christ everything really is made new, I would point you to Isaiah chapter 11 and call on you to meditate and to pray and to believe. Your confidence in God might feel like a stump, but he can grow a new shoot in you. But it comes through Jesus. He appeared so that we can receive. He appeared so that we can receive. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, I'm talking about the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So what Paul says is that those who know Christ through, who know God through Christ, are saved and called. And then he keeps going. Verse 10 Those who know God through Christ, Christ has abolished death and brought life everlasting. So what Paul says is Jesus came to accomplish very tangible things. Salvation, holy calling, abolished death, everlasting life. Salvation, holy calling, abolished death, everlasting life. So salvation simply means this, that we were delivered from impending doom. The impending doom was the wrath of God against our sin, and Jesus came to deliver sinners from impending doom. You've been saved. In Christ, you are saved. You belong to God. Second, he says that in Christ, we have a holy calling. Now that's just filled with all kinds of church words. Called holy calling. Like, that sounds like Sunday School 101. Everybody says it, and nobody knows what we're talking about. Called means God is saying, come. Holy means set apart for God's good purposes. Called means to be used by God. So what he's saying is that we've been delivered so that we will be useful in God's kingdom. There is a place for all of us who are in Christ to bear much fruit in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter how bad you were. It doesn't matter how much you struggle today. If you're in Christ, you're delivered and you're called to be used of God. He welcomes you and is eager to display his grace through us. And this is good news for a room full of misfits. God is eager to display his grace through us. Third, we receive the fact that death is defeated. Death is defeated. Now, I say that knowing that most of us in this room, actually all of us, unless Jesus were to return, will die. This life will come to an end. But what Jesus defeated was the consequence and the cause of death. Death is the fruit of sin. And sin, because sin reigns, death is everywhere. 
And Jesus defeated sin, and he rose on the third day to defeat death, so that all who belong to him, while we die once, we will not die eternally, because Jesus has defeated death. And if Jesus has defeated eternal death, there is nothing that human death offers us that Jesus can't carry us through and minister to us through and sustain us forever. Which points to the fourth thing, he offers us eternal life. Everlasting life is real because Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. So he appeared so that we can receive. Who receives? Those who call on his name. Those he purposed. Those who have his grace. That's who receives. So really the question today for all of us is this. Do I know Jesus? Do I know Jesus? Have I believed and received the salvation and the calling and the defeat of death and the eternal life that he offers? Do I know Jesus? Because the Bible tells us that those who know Jesus will be radically transformed by the truth of having our sin defeated and being called to bear fruit in his kingdom. Go back to Isaiah chapter 11. And turn over to chapter 12. So lest you think I'm reading too much into the Bible, look at what God said through Isaiah way back then. The shoot from the stump will bring the promises to bear. And the fruit of the promises is this. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 1. You will say in that day, what day? The day when, this, when the, the branch rains. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. If you're one to mark in your Bible, do that right there. Though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Jesus came to bring this type of confident, loved, cared for joy to bear in our lives. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Do you hear that? With joy, you will continually draw upon the grace of God extended through His Savior, who we now know is Jesus. We will drink eternally and joyfully from the water that is the salvation of Jesus. And this is what it does to us. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. What's Isaiah saying? The chosen one, the Messiah, is going to come so that we will relate to God like this. 
His anger has been turned into comfort, and we will joyfully draw from the waters of salvation as we worship Him and invite others to worship Him because Jesus came. This is what I'm praying for you this Christmas, that you will be overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus came. So overwhelmed that you believe, so overwhelmed that you respond in faith, so overwhelmed that you Worship Him freely, so overwhelmed that you reorient your life to glorify Him in all things. Our Father and our God. We pray today. Pray that you would give us life. Life abundant. Life everlasting through Jesus. We pray that you would overwhelm us with the truth of the gospel. We pray that you would give us confidence that if we're in Him, we're accepted into your presence. We pray this, Father, believing that only you can do it. So work, work by your Spirit.